Good morning to everyone at home. Happy Father's Day. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brittany Willems and I'm on staff here at BBC. Um, and I trust that you're enjoying your Sunday morning, maybe in your pyjamas or in front of the TV with a good cup of coffee. Um, honestly, we miss you. We really, really miss having you guys in the building. It's not even the same, trying to um, preach to a whole auditorium of empty chairs. Um, so this week I actually managed to convince some of my life group uh, to come along just so I could at least uh, talk to a few people as opposed to just peeking to a screen. So I'm very, very happy for that. Um, but look, we trust that what um, that we bring translates well through the screens and devices as we connect in this different fashion. So um, thank you to everyone for joining in. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing on our series um, through 1 Corinthians. And the last couple of weeks, um, we've been talking about some heavy topics. And so, again, just a bit of a parental warning um, that, again, this topic is for more teenage age and up. So if you don't want to ask, answer a whole bunch of questions, um, parents, just your heads up. So um, when I think about these letters, sometimes I think about... Um, the letters being a bit like opening someone else's mail and not being totally sure of really what's going on and you only get one half of the story. So it's a really great time to learn. But these letters get straight to the nitty gritty of it all. And um, the last few weeks we've covered a couple of topics. So Craig a couple of weeks ago spoke on sexual immorality. Last week Rob, Rob spoke on marriage. And for those of you who have read ahead, you'll see that this week we're talking um, to the unmarried. Now, before all of the married people fall asleep, I really want you to engage with this topic because as married people in the eyes of many single people, you've made it. You've made it and by default, you become automatic advice givers in this area, rightly or wrongly. Maybe your dating experience was a bit like my nana's. Um, she said to me, Brittany, in my day, we would go to the dance on a Friday night, uh, meet a nice young man, maybe catch up with him through the week, go for a little date. And if we liked them, that was great. And if we didn't, we'd just go back to the dance the next Friday night and find another nice young man. She said it was simple. Or like in many Christian circles, a common experience is to meet someone at youth group or young adults, date, fall madly in love and get married, which is a really great experience for a number of people. For me, I was widowed at the age of 25. And so my experience in my first marriage was one where I moved to Aussie met a lovely young man by the name of uh, Carl. We became friends and then, you know, realized we liked each other more than friends and began dating, engaged and got married. And so although this is a common experience, it's important to remember that it's not everyone's experience. Navigating relationships and dating when you're older looks, like, looks a lot different from the clean cut way of youth group dating and young marriage. I know this because after my husband died, after four and a half years of marriage, when I decided that I wanted to begin dating again, it was a totally different experience. So if I could impart some wisdom or some hard-won experience to those who are married, as I was at a young age, when you have friends that are older, single, widowed, uh, who are navigating the dating scene, it's important to remember that your relationship was, is descriptive, not prescriptive. Okay, what do I mean by that? So although it describes the way you met, fell in love, it's not going to be a prescribed, simple way for everybody else. And this is really important to remember if you ever feel the need to give dating advice, that that was your experience, excuse me, a beautiful one, 
but it cannot be prescribed in such a clean-cut way to everybody else. I got married at the end of um, May this year for the second time uh, in a small post-lockdown wedding uh, to Nicholas, and the story looked very different from the first time round, but the ending was still the same. I've been fortunate enough to marry another kind, loving man who um, can put up with me. So, on that note, why don't we pray? <laughs> Father God, we just um, we thank you that although we are physically apart, that we can join together online to worship you and learn to learn more about you. Father, I ask that this morning that you will speak to us all as we open your word and learn more about what it means for us, for us all, married and singles alike, to be a part of your community. God, we just thank you for this time. Amen. We're, we're going to begin by um, opening up the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through to 28. And it reads, Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Those who are at home are either giggling or too afraid to giggle because sometimes there are not truer words. Now, if you notice in verse 26, Paul is talking about this present crisis. And during this time in Corinth and for the next few years, there was a severe shortage of grain because of a drought. And grain was the most basic of food items for many of them. And they, I guess, had almost taken it for granted that the Roman Empire would keep them safe and that they would be um, well fed and that there wouldn't be any issues. But then suddenly we're faced with this food crisis. And most of the Christians in Corinth were poor. They weren't born into noble or wealthy families. And so they would have felt the effects of this greatly and have been really anxious about it. And then in this day and age, getting married meant that um, it inevitably, inevitably led to having children, which would have added to the pressure of being able to provide for their family. So Paul here is just giving some really practical advice. And this present crisis, just remain as you are. And I think the message version spells it out more explicitly in verse 28 when it says, All I am saying is that when you marry, you take on additional stress and an already stressful time, and I want to spare you this if possible. Then if we skip ahead to the end of this chapter in verse 38, it reads, Marriage is spiritually and morally right and not inferior to singleness in any way. Although, as I indicated earlier, because of the times we live in, I do have pastoral reasons for encouraging singleness. So we can see here that in light of the context that Paul is addressing the Church of Corinth in, that it provides a pretty big reason for Paul to practically and pastorally encourage singleness because of this grain shortage. However, it seems that this conversation extends just beyond the shortage and the drought. All right, let's carry on reading. So we've got verses 29 through to 31. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy 
as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, for those, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Amen. The world in its present form is passing away. I think that's a great reminder for all of us that this life, this here, this now, the good and the bad that we experience, the things that we buy and enjoy and the things that bring us loss and grief and sadness are all temporary. It's a reminder to live through our lives, our working, our raising of children, our marriages, our singleness, are completely devoted and under the authority of the one who loves us. Because if all things are devoted to the Lord, marriages and families are kingdom work also. As Paul says in Romans 12, 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, on account of God's mercy, to offer your bodies so everything that you are is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, because this is your true and proper worship. And that is a challenge for all of us that in despite and despite our relationship status to be fully devoted to the Lord. And that is the goal, that is the aim of what Paul's, Paul's ultimate desire for the church. Marriage is temporary. And so instead of offering or pointing to marriage as the answer or for all or the pinnacle of the Christian faith, we need to continue to point to the gospel of Jesus in a time when our earthly desires will be fulfilled in Christ. The trouble is the experience I had when dating um, and navigating really dating a second time round and in speaking to people who are single today is that as a single person, you feel like you can be in the waiting room, the single person waiting room. And only when you meet another person in that waiting room and fall in love, can you then enter the door of the finally living life properly. Only then can your purpose be fulfilled. And unfortunately, the church can confirm this by remaining silent about singles and not celebrating the singles within their community. Even though about 30% of adults in church at any given time are single, it's met more with sadness than celebration. And this culture is spread subtly. It happens when married people only want to socialize with other married people. Well, selfishly, yes, selfishly, looking to their perfect couple friend match. When Jane doesn't want to befriend Sally because who will husband John hang out with? And I get it. We all want friendships and we all want easy friendships. But what we are actually saying to that single person is that you are not worth my time as you are now. As a single person, you are not enough for us. You are not worth elements of inconvenience or awkwardness and you are not worth my time to learn what life looks like for you. And we justify it by saying things like, well... We don't really have anything in common. You know, they don't have any kids and, you know, I don't even know if it's appropriate for the single person to come on holiday with us or to go to dinner or join our life group or let's not invite them because honestly, they, they will just feel like the odd ones out. And, you know, it's just not fair for us to parade our relationships in front of them. You know, it's that, it's that simple. It's an easy way to make marriage seem like the superior option and to make single people, divorcees, widows and widowers feel undervalued. So it's either the avoidance option where we just remain in our family bubble or it's the advice bubble where I must get them out of the sad situation that they are in. And so you become uh, professional single people counsellors or God-appointed matchmakers. But let's remember that our experiences are prescribed, not des- are described, not prescribed. 
So if you are married, let's be careful about the way that we prescribe that relationship advice. Let's be honourable about those who are in a different circumstance to ours. And let's be brave in getting to know others who might not be like us. Because we need each other as the body of Christ and as a church family. Now, I appreciate it might seem like I'm totally just ripping into married people, but don't think that I'm going to let the single people off the hook either. Single people, yes, you are single. And it can suck at times. It can feel lonely. And for many, it's something that you grieve because there are times when you feel like you feel like you are and you are the third, the fifth and the 11th wheel. And at times you feel like you wish you had a spouse and at times there will be awkwardness and at times you won't be able to relate to the married couple's experience, but that's okay. After my first husband passed away, I had to relearn a whole lot of things and I had to relearn what it meant to be single. I had to relearn to be okay with myself and be by myself and be the odd one out in certain situations. Particularly as um, in the Christian world, as I was an older single person, uh, many of my friends were married and had kids. And, and honestly, that was okay. In fact, it was good. I got to learn from them and they from me as we had common and uncommon experiences. I said uh, yes to life groups, even leading life groups that were full of couples. I said yes to dinner parties, um, parties, holidays, family events, all sorts by myself owned my emotions by not letting them rule, even had and embraced awkward moments where everyone is hanging out in their couple state and I'm just chilling, swimming in the pool by myself, having a great time. Why? Because I know and knew that this life isn't it, that my focus is on God and the gospel and the variety of things that God has called me to do and be and all of these things that I can do easily in my single state. But it's a great detriment to the church when we push singles, older, unmarrieds, divorcees, widows and widowers to our periphery because we just don't know what to do with them. And it's not up to the church staff to coordinate these relationships. It's us, the body. It's members. It's our members and attenders. It's a personal responsibility for us to take care of our community. So embrace the awkwardness. Singles and couples alike, invite one another into your lives. Be bold. You know, we can do that. We can do that for each other. All right, we're going to carry on reading as Paul continues in verse 32 through to 40. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But an unmarried man is concerned about the affairs of the of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the sorry, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. 
But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. And before we carry on, I just want to clarify that the referencing to men and not the woman in terms of desire is not because men are the only ones who experience desire. It's just a reflection of marriage in this culture and time. But a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. Amen. What surprised me about this passage is that although Paul believes both marriage and singleness are good in the eyes of God, he is glorifying single life as a more noble way. Now, it's no secret that most of us desire to be married and very few people have the gift of celibacy. And singleness is often a personal, uh, painful wrestle where you don't feel liberated. Singles desire and long for companionship and the intimacy and even just the option to do life with someone else. But so the question is, if you burn with passion or as the scripture mentions, your desires are too strong and you're not planning on an arranged marriage, what do you do? But there's nothing shameful about this desire. The Bible book Song of Solomon freely talks about this, this burning passion. But how do you navigate this in between time. One of the areas that you're going to have to travel is the murky waters of dating. Because if you want to get married, you're going to have to date. And the Bible doesn't explicitly look at the topic of dating because most of the people were promised uh, to one another by their parents. Something I'm personally grateful that we have moved on from. But to say that it can be tough, frustrating and awkward and lots of pressure is an understatement. But if we don't talk about it, our society's picture and culture of dating will define ours. Our society says that our feelings rule, that it's all about chemistry, a vibe and sexual compatibility, that romance is fueled by experience and where the question is no longer how long do we date before we have sex, but how long do we have sex before we begin dating. Where sex is defined as intimacy and where we don't communicate our feelings to one another, but instead play this guessing game with no intention of being able to, uh, intention of being with that person because it makes us vulnerable, and being vulnerable in this way isn't good for us. Single people, as you face these challenges, you really are modern day saints by not succumbing to the dominant culture that it's a basic human right to experience sexual relationships and dating in this fashion. Beyond the fact that we're hardwired for relationships and often desire to be desired. It's hard work. It's really hard work. And so I thought as a bit of a side note, for those of you who are unfamiliar, or it's been a while with the dating scene, um, so I thought I'd share with you what it's like, like in 2020. I thought I would share a few people's tweets from their personal dating experiences that really highlight some of the simple challenges. We've got the serial data. My date took me to a nice restaurant. Our server leaned in to me and said, you're the third one this week. Way to make a girl feel special. You've got the meddling mothers. My mum and I went out for dinner and she surprised me with a blind date. We ate dinner together, the three of us. 
Awkward. And then we've got the awkward conversationalist. During an awkward silence, the guy drummed on the table while mumbling, topic, topic, topic. Or maybe those who shouldn't talk. This one reminded me of me. It said, he immediately ended the date after I asked if his pet pig's name was Bacon. I'm not even sure what went on in this date, but at the end of a first date, I asked if she'd like to go out again. She said she was going to take a break from dating for a while. And finally, for the older singles, particularly in Christian circles, it definitely feels like this image. I think that that image should be motivation enough to work on your marriages. But again, not to be uh, prescriptive, but by way of testimony, after Carl, my husband's death, there was a time when I was intensely grieving. And uh, for me, I went back to work and that helped give me a a good focus and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. It was a time that even if I wanted it, it wouldn't have been good for or wise for me to enter into a relationship for um, both the other person's sake and mine. However, when I came to a place where I decided that I wanted to be married again and that I would like that in my future, I had to decide what to do with that. And that meant at times I intentionally pursued dating or a relationship But knowing what the scripture said and what Paul was saying to singles to pursue God and to be devoted to him, knowing that I actually didn't need a spouse to serve God, I made a choice to continue to put God first in my life as a single woman. I knew that my life didn't have the same commitments to someone as I once had. I had this unique freedom to be able to make decisions uh, that wouldn't impact on Carl as a husband or us as a family. So I did things like go back and forth to Fiji for nine months to work with the Buller Coffee team. I was able to finish my theology degree, which I'd actually begun the last time I was single. I interned again at church and I began a life group for a small group of young adults, being the older one in the group, where we have seen that group now grow to be the larger young adults community that we have at BBC. And I can't lie and say that tension doesn't exist in this space. Fears that you'll be the last woman standing, or in my case, be aged out of the good dating pool of opportunities. So for a long time, it was a case of feel the fear and serve anyway. I got to a place where I held two visions for my future, my old age. One was with a husband and the other was without. Other than that, they didn't really look too different. I honestly knew that I would be happy either way because I had found a peace and a joy in serving and living and desiring the things of God and offering myself in whatever capacity for God's glory. At times, um, it was an exercise, one where a few muscles had to grow, muscles that we don't like growing, like self-control, grace, acceptance, patience, faithfulness, and straight-up perseverance. But as I continued to fall in love with God more and more, I was excited for my future with or without a husband. You see, singleness is a unique opportunity as Christians as it highlights our, the church's love and devotion to Christ, as it's seen in the single person's exclusive devotion to Christ. Singleness says to a watching world, God is enough. God is sufficient. God is worth the pain and the grief that I feel in my singleness. 
Because in that struggle and in that tension, you point people to God as you rely on God in a greater way for the fulfillment of such needs and desires. Your singleness isn't about being single. It's, it's about God. So feel the fear and serve anyway. Don't wait to be married before you serve God. Don't wait to be married before you spend time with God. You know, this passage of scripture isn't a hall pass for those who are married. Married, single, widowed, we're all called to the same thing. Paul is just simply saying that it's going to be easier for a single person because you don't have the same distractions. But their question remains the same for all of us. How can we serve God? How can you serve God? Well, if your heart is for mission, get out there. If you're passionate about music, be the best musician you can be. If you lead a life group, be the best life group leader you can be. If you like to cook, cook for as many people as you can. And if you build, build your heart out for the kingdom. Don't be anxious about your relationship status. Be anxious only about the things of the Lord, about his people, his burdens, his woes. You can have that freedom. We're marked by eternity, so we don't have to live under the dominating power of those things and that dictate the existence of others. We can actually be free. We can be unshackled by these things. We can be a group of men and women who are dedicated, focused, and attentive to the things of the Lord. We can be a group of people who are undistracted and so consumed by the gospel, so in awe of God's love for us that our entire lives turn into a pursuit of knowing Jesus, being used by Him, and loving Jesus. Imagine that this could be our reality. A beautiful, God-centered reality for our entire community. It's one that excites me. And I know that it's one that if Paul was hanging around our church and seeing how many awesome singles we have, that he would just be so excited by it. But it's not always easy, and I get that. So I do, I want to encourage you to seek out prayer and someone to talk to. And my hope and my prayer is that you will be embraced by our community. That's our responsibility. I'm just going to end in prayer, everyone. So just join with me at home. Father God, we've talked today um, about a number of aspects of Christian life and community today. And my prayer is that we will allow that to sink, sink deeply into our hearts and that you will bring people into our lives and we can be bold and courageous to show care, concern and love and friendship for all of those around us. And that we can show the world around us what a godly community looks like. Father, that ultimately, regardless of our relationship status, that through your grace, we can point others to you. Father, for those who are single in our community and struggling with their singleness and struggling with temptation or need to grow their muscles of perseverance and self-control and faithfulness, God, that you, those who have fears that it will be destroyed by a revelation of how much you, God, love them. How you love them so, so much. God, give us the courage to pursue you without that fear, without being shackled, without being anxious about our futures, but our hearts being focused on a future serving you. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are gracious and loving, a loving Father. And that we get to do this life with you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, church, we are going to finish up here and um, we just hope and pray that you just have a fantastic week. Unfortunately, we are going to be uh, online again next week, fortunately and unfortunately. We wish that you could all be here, but meet us here next week, same time and um, look forward to it.